Hi and welcome to the School Should Be podcast, a chance to hear from students, teachers and professionals to learn about all the things school should be. My name is Zahara and I am the founder of School Should Be. I've worked in schools for the past 10 years in a variety of roles from a classroom teacher to an education consultant. Schools are clouded by so many barriers, however my experience has shown me it is possible to overcome social and economic hurdles, archaic curriculum structures and be part of the unlearning process that our students and teachers need now more than ever. This podcast will explore a variety of themes, topics and viewpoints, all of which can make school a better place for students and teachers. I hope it helps you learn and smile along the way too. Please do leave a review, share and help us grow the School Should Be community. Right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the School Should Be podcast. I'm really grateful um, to be joined by Mina Wood. Hi Mina. Hi, hi Zahara. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very, very well and so excited about Sorry, so excited about the podcast. Really excited about it. Thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are and how much you have going on, but I'm so glad we finally found the time to do this. Um, So just to tell everybody a little bit about Mina. um, Mina is an education consultant, an author and a trainer. She is a previous HMI Ofsted inspector secondary school academy principal dfe advisor la advisor and has worked across schools and the education sector here in the uk and internationally so an amazing um bio and level of experience in education um mina's latest book second uh, secondary curriculum transformed co-authored with nick haddon addresses the need to transform the secondary curriculum so young people are equipped with the relevant knowledge and skills they need in the 21st century which we're going to be talking about more on this podcast and our main topic of uh, conversation is school culture which mina has a great deal of experience in and has been and a lot of success in in terms of how how can we all work together as students, parents and teachers to create a great school culture? And Mina's going to talk to me about it from a head teacher's point of view. Um, sorry, that was a really long introduction, Mina, but you've got an amazing biography. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. That's really um, but I'd love to, I know that I've given a, a, a summary of your experience but I'd love to know a little bit more about how you got into teaching and why you decided to take on the headship journey um, and then the Ofsted journey as well. Um, Because we know that a lot of people go into teaching, me included, and think that headship isn't for everyone. Um, So I'd love to know from you, like what led you on to that position and where you are now? Yeah, okay, Zara, well, uh, I'll try and make it quite brief, but uh, it's not a typical story of um, a teacher going through the ranks to become a head teacher, certainly. Um, I think um, in terms of where I was, I, I decided to go into teaching as many people do after doing my degree in French. And I want, you know, my PGC in languages and uh, went off and became a French teacher for about eight years. Um, I got a little bit disillusioned because I have to say in the UK, languages is not uh, one of the most favorite subjects of children. And there isn't this sort of uh, attraction towards learning other languages, unfortunately, which I find quite sad. So after eight years of teaching French, I moved into um, FE, 
of all things, mm. uh, further education. And from there on in, that's where I acquired my leadership um, expertise. So I moved from uh, a mainstream teacher into FE, and then I went in through the ranks, if you like, to become assistant principal um, and three, three major London FE colleges. And finally, I was principal of an adult college. So once I'd arrived at that point, I'd worked cross-sector. My expertise then was particularly in post-16. Um, and so when I arrived at that point, I felt, well, right, now what do I do? And I felt that maybe the way forward was to gain some experience in Ofsted as an HMI. So I applied to be an HMI, and I was fortunate to um, secure the position of HMI. And so I started my journey as, as an HMI, which was very, very interesting, complete privilege to be an HMI. But I have to say, um, the, the other side of that was that um, at the start of it, I was under an HMI, uh, under an HMCI, um, well, various HMCI, but Christine Gilbert was probably the best HMCI I worked with. Um, and during this journey, if you like, of being an HMI, I had traveled, uh, or traveled, I'd inspected schools, primary, secondary, uh, ITT, um, youth offender institutes, um, all sorts of different uh, settings. And very importantly, uh, section fives and section eights, obviously in schools. And I think out of everything, the areas I loved the most were the section eight inspections where you could actually work alongside a school and bring them out of a category and that you really felt that that you know impact was there yeah. uh, professional impact and the other area I think I really enjoyed was doing survey work so at that time um, and we're talking about 2002 to 2014 Ofsted was quite um, key in, in producing these thematic surveys so I, I was um, the equalities HMI um, for Christine um, and I had a brief for uh, moving with um, sort of on, on the area of pupil groups with disadvantaged children ethnic minority achievement and so on and that was actually an amazing experience because I could go into schools dig out the good practice and produce these reports which were then shared across the sector and, you know, actually, I feel that is the essentially the role of Ofsted. That should be the role of sharing good practice. As an HMI, you are privileged because you have insight into so many different settings, meeting so many different leadership teams, teachers, and obviously the children, the parents, and so on. So if we can't capture that good practice and then use it to improve the sector as a whole, I'm not sure what the rationale is then for Ofsted. I feel since I've left, and that was one of the reasons why I did leave, um, it became a very formulaic organisation. And what has happened with inspection since then is that it has become incredibly punitive. Um, it has become quite uh, dictatorial so that, you know, now the way Ofsted is shaped up, I couldn't even possibly think of working for that organisation. It uh, stipulate what what schools should be doing it's kind of stripping away the autonomy of schools mm -hmm. and I can't bind so you know I was very fortunate I left in 2014 and when I left 
I thought, right, one thing I can do is use all my expertise that I've gained from Ofsted and put that back into the sector. So that's the one thing I can give back as a gift to the sector. And so what I did was I used the Ofsted framework as it was then, and it never has essentially changed, to develop a quality assurance system that I implemented in schools that I worked with. So I worked in a series of schools uh, in a consultancy capacity, assistant head or uh, not assistant head, sorry, associate head or um, uh, interim head and so on. And what I did in each of those schools was develop a quality assurance system called pupil progress reviews. These were actually based on the way Ofsted inspects. So it was about going into lessons, looking at children's work, triangulating that with the progress they made over time, talking to children, ensuring that you know the, the feedback they were getting from, from teachers was actually helping them to improve and so on. So that essentially, in essence, became the basis of a performance management system, because mm -hmm. instead of going in and doing that checklist where you, you know, um, you're standing there with your clipboard and actually seeing, giving grades to teachers, what you are doing there is looking at learning and the educational experience of the children, and you're evaluating that in terms of the impact of the teaching and the assessment. So the feedback you give to staff becomes instructional coaching, in effect, yeah. which is far more yeah. positive and less punitive, far less punitive. It's not even punitive. It's actually developmental. It's evaluative. And the impact is, and I know the impacts there because I did it in all these schools and in the school I was prince, finally principal myself, uh, is that uh, you see improvements taking place every time you go into that you know, particular teachers' lessons. You see them taking on board, you know, the areas that you might say, for example, have you thought about doing a little bit more targeted questioning with those particular pupils? Because actually, you know what, when when we're when um, I've spoken to those pupils, I've looked at their work and they're very quiet in your lessons and effectively they never seem to even want to raise their hands when you ask questions because mm. you, there is a tendency to pick the same children. So have you thought about thinking more specifically about how you might action targeting targeted questioning and so that might be an area that the teacher would work on. and have you thought about going into so-and-so's lesson where mm -hmm. you could learn from because they've got some excellent examples of targeting questions and so on so i think that instructional coaching that peer review as well getting teachers to to work with each other and i think that comes on to the culture yeah. aspect that you're talking about Absolutely. that to me yeah lies at the heart of a school I think if you can create a culture where teachers feel empowered, they don't feel, you know, frightened. They don't feel like they should be jumping through hoops to get, mm. you know, get to somewhere that, you know, oh my God, my lesson was good or my, my teaching was considered good and it should be outstanding because actually what does it take to become outstanding as a teacher? It's that kind of dialogue is just pointless in my view. It's just pointless. This is not about the teacher. This is about the impact of teaching on learning. So for me, if a school can get that into its culture and actually see the children as being the central part of that school and the educational experience they're undergoing as being key, you know, and everything else revolves around that, then I think, frankly, 
the school is an outstanding school, if you want to use that term, you know, because they have the right ethos, they have the right values. And to me, that's, that's really the one thing that I, I felt if I can do that in a school and make that difference, then I've achieved something because that was the one thing I learned from my Ofsted experience. And, you know, you mentioned the book, but in the book, there is, for example, a whole chapter devoted to that and all the templates and examples and case studies taken mm -hmm. from schools I've worked with. And it is a powerful way of doing it because it actually underpins the values of that school. You know, it shows that leaders are working alongside staff. They're not, yeah. work, they're not on top bearing down. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in too many schools, you have a situation where leaders are hiding, <laughs> sitting in yeah. their classroom, into their, in their offices. And in some cases, I know where they'll be monitoring staff, you know, just walking down corridors. A number of the mats do that, where they just, leaders are just marching up and down corridors, peering into rooms, supposed yeah. learning, learning walks. I'm not really sure what that's all about. So, I, yeah. So, I, sorry, that was no, a very No, no it, makes, no, it makes complete sense. And I was just like nodding along because I just find mm -hmm. that everything you said, like it absolutely does lead into our conversation about culture because... That I know that Ofsted now no longer supposedly grade lessons, but that culture of the grade to me is just a, a letter or a number, for example, a bit like the exam system as well. But the culture that it perpetuates is it's almost like this Cartesian circle for schools where they just can't come out of it because teachers feel the same as students that kind of pressure is projected onto the students, leaders are projecting that pressure onto their teachers and it's just ongoing. And like you said, until you break that cycle and focus on impact and learning and which is effectively culture, mm. um, schools can't, like I wouldn't even know how a school could even think they are going to improve or get better if they didn't think of impact, learning, fun <laughs> relationships, in the exactly. classroom exactly i mean one of the, i'll tell you a little anecdote well it's a true story i mean i went and did a, a curriculum review of a school last year mm -hmm. um and i was i i the way i did it the 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 sort of um which was the methodology we used was i was working with the middle leaders of course and going into the lessons and doing the sort of thing I, i've just described yeah. you know um, alongside them so we both sat in there and I took like three children and looked at those three children and the leader when I said if you could do that then we can compare notes and so on. as I'm walking down the corridor with the head of languages um, you know a young young guy who um, just turned to me and said oh, I'm really really happy you're here doing this I said, oh, good, I'm so pleased. Um, you know, anything particular, any particular reason why you're so happy that I'm coming, you know? Well, yes, because you see, now we've got our Ofsted inspection due and you can give me all the answers as to what I need to say to the Ofsted inspector when oh they come gosh. in. So, you know, I really want to know, what do I need to say? I said, what do you think you need to say? You need to talk to him about your pupils and the work they're doing and the progress they're making and show him or her what, what they're doing. You know, just take them into the classrooms and let them see for themselves. Because if you're, you are the professional here, you are the head of department, mm. surely you can then showcase what you do best and what your teachers do best. So this isn't about me giving you answers to questions. Yeah. So it's it's that point you made, Sahara. 
that accountability measures, the accountability measures that are used in GCSEs. Yeah. It's filtering down to the same way with teachers and yeah. Ofsted. And, yeah. you know, the whole, and yeah. then that becomes part or ingrained into the school leadership system, you know, the whole quality assurance and leaders working, the way leaders manage the school, you know, the way they mm. lead staff. And it is absolutely pernicious. And I find it just, you know, damaging. It really is. Uh, and every time someone, when I've gone into schools and, and done sort of curriculum reviews or whatever in the last year, and someone has said to me, um, you know, talked about Ofsted, well, all I want to know is what I need to do to pass Ofsted. And I genuinely wanted to walk out of the door. Because yeah. I thought, really? Surely the one thing you should be wanting to do is to make a difference to your children's lives and to have an impact on learning for them so that they come out of school ready for their next destination, the next steps. You know, isn't that what we're all about? That's I... why we're educational professionals. I just think, is that rocket science or is <laughs> I I couldn't agree with you more because I remember like, I guess in the latter part of my career, it wasn't so bad because I was in that leadership position. So you have a little bit more clout or say, you know, you can almost, and also like you said, with experience, you can almost, you know what things to let go over your head and yeah. what things to, to take in. But I remember from NQ, probably for the first five, three to three to four years of teaching, it, every time we had a CPD seminar with the head teacher or with leadership, it was always like, so Ofsted, the framework, and every sentence started with that. And at that point, you like a student switches off when you say, so a band five answer requires you yes. to, to say, exactly. like teachers would also switch off. And in the classroom, I guess with your kids, you could kind of make it a little bit fun in the sense that, you know, get a good relationship going with them, say, you just need to put this and even that is wrong being able to tell a student like that head of department if I'm able to tell a student these are exactly the sentence starters and these are the exact quotations being an English teacher these are the exact um points you need to get into this answer for these 10 different essay plans kids loved that because you're giving them the answer exactly. but that's not learning like that however that would tick an Ofsted and that in itself I don't know would it like because to me that's well, what yeah it would it would because if the impact is that the child is learn le not learning but learning to pass the test yeah you know, yeah and they can see in the books that they're making progress over time yes then yes it would tick the box yeah. however I would question the depth of learning yeah, yeah. absolutely so you know you I have been in, in classrooms where I've looked at work and I've, I've sat down you know with children and you know I'll give you another example I went into a biology lesson uh, sorry a chemistry lesson where they were doing uh, an experiment uh, practical rather I should say where they were looking at uh, how um, now it was actually how how photosynthesis works. So it actually was biology, but they were looking at the process of photosynthesis as a chemical process, if you like. And it was so when they were doing that, the children were you know absorbed in this experiment, uh, practical, I should say. And the funniest part of it was that I went up to three children and I said to each one of them. So can you tell me how you how you do this now? Or what have you learned from this? Mm. Well, two of them could tell me. One of them was completely right. The second one was partially right. And ironically, the third one I asked, hadn't got a clue. 
So I said, well, you've been given homework to write this up. What are you going to do? Well, I'll go home and Google it. Yes. Yeah. He said, I really don't know. I don't know how to do this at all. I haven't understood the practical at all. Now, the teacher left the lesson with, you know, this is your homework and off you go. So I would question now, where's the depth in learning? Where's, Where's the evaluation at the end to say, how many of you have actually fully understood yes, and so on? Yeah. Like, you know, Zahara. Yeah, quite of course. People are asked, children are asked to put up the thumb, the half thumb or the down thumb, you know. And then what I find remarkable is that we've got this show of thumbs, but then by <laughs> nobody does anything with the information. Absolutely. And it's like, well, that's great, kids. And I'll see you next lesson. So I think the issue here is you're absolutely right. It's that superficial learning. Yeah. You know, which which unfortunately will go into the area of curriculum now because yeah. unfortunately that is our curriculum and the way it's structured. Yeah. It is to pass through hoops and to get to the exams and you know the accountability measures will do the same thing. Yeah, two thirds will pass and one third won't because it's against that. It's against the normative. It's a normative assessment as yeah. opposed to obsessive, isn't it? you know, that we're, we're monitoring children's progress against their starting points. Yeah. So that in itself, I think, is, is, is again, something that's completely flawed with our, our education system. But coming back to the cultural culture. Side, yeah. Because obviously, we're yeah, sorry. Going. We'll come on to curriculum, like when we yeah. talk about yeah, it. Sorry. <laughs> you know, that's one thing I just particularly, you'll start me off and then we'll be here for a while. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the cultural values in my school, what I was very keen to do was to have three central values, and those were resilience, tolerance, and respect. And what I did with those values was imbue them throughout the school. And I know, you know, in the book, for example, you talk about values and intent as being key, you know, in any school. Um, and the, the the values we had were, were so central to the school that they were used as part of the behavior policy if you like so if children transgressed in any way I would get them to write a letter to me or to the person that they you know like the the teacher whosoever it was or even another child but in that they had to say how they had messed up on those values which of those values had they messed up on and not adhered to and what could they have done instead of what they actually did so you know if a child um so for example bullied another child then we had to get them to write out you know really and understand why why which values they transgressed and why and what they should have done instead and how and apologize to the other child as well so it was all done very openly and this was i had my my office had um, all their letters up on the walls that they'd written to me and then obviously there were the letters that went to the children and I thought this is brilliant because and we had a great big folder full of them as well it was brilliant because you know what at the same time they were learning literacy because some of them genuinely couldn't do letter writing yeah you can imagine in today's day of social media yeah. so they had to do it they had to do it properly they were doing it under supervision no member of staff was there and they had to learn letter writing skills and know how to phrase it. We helped them. We gave them some templates and so mm-hmm. that helped them along the way. So for me, this was about learning, you know, the art of writing mm-hmm. as well as really knowing what those values meant to them. Those values were also, because I really believe that a school is this whole concept of Ubuntu. You know, do you, yeah. you know the concept yes. of Ubuntu, which is the learning community, 
that is that means that everyone is part of that and you are responsible for each other so this is what i used to do my assemblies on with the children and basically um in terms of parents i used to do parental forums which <clears throat> we used to hold uh, at various times of the day or evening to suit different work working patterns when they came in i used to go through our values with them i used to talk to them about any concerns they had but it was very much that i expected them to sign up to these values as well mm. you know so i wanted them to be part of our culture and make them aware that you know that what they're doing they need to support at home as well so our, our, they had a contract as well that they had to sign you know with, with us not i know every school has a contract with their parents you know that um, lines that but with ours we actually featured our values and they made it clear what what was steering the school and um, what was really good was i was remember i just brought it back to me now with the euro cup final yeah. that we've got going on at the moment yeah yeah so <laughs> This was in 2018, and I think it was the Cup Final was on then as well. I think yeah. it, I can't remember if it was the World Cup Final. I think it was the World I Cup Final. I think it was World Cup, then. yeah. And um, I did a whole, sorry, yeah, I did yes. a whole assembly on how those young men were, you know, beyond, yeah, sort of against all the odds, had actually arrived at this point in the Cup Final, yeah coming on stage yeah okay yeah. yes can you hear me yeah yeah perfect i can hear you <laughs> i can hear you um yeah. so they and and in the in the assembly i put up some shots of the, you know the, the players and so on and i said to them right okay can you tell me when they were playing the game last because the game had just been played the night before before mm. so i said okay so can you tell me what values they were exemplifying when they yeah, use the word exemplifying but what values were they showing yeah. us and they were playing the game playing that game last night and they were brilliant because they were coming out with respect when so and so passed the ball to somebody else and i intolerance when they stood back and they yeah. actually allowed so and so to put and resilience of course which was the main one and um and and so they were really quite good in the way they analyzed it and then unfortunately the following week they fell out didn't they they lost yeah they yeah. were on a win weren't they yes and then, yes and then, <laughs> so i did another assembly and i said okay what was the major value they had to show there and character and you know mm. resilience uh, because i said yes they're going to have to bounce back aren't they and so we did a whole thing around that and it was coming up to the year 11 exams so i said right okay you need to learn lessons from ryan sterling you mm. sterling you need to learn lessons from so and you know and yeah. and, and so on and so forth and this is how you will, they've done it, you can do it with your GCSEs, you know, and so on. So I think that, again, it comes back that permeating your values across the school in everything you do and relating it to outside life as well. Yeah. And I think that's that's really important, not, not to just, unfortunately, Zahara, I think in schools now, you've got this dichotomy between teaching and behavior. Mm. Yeah? So much so that you've got, you know, usually a deputy for teaching, deputy for behaviour, or assistant head for behaviour, and, and so on. And never the twain shall meet in many schools. Yes. You know, it's kind of as particularly now with the government bearing down on this, you know, behaviour policy, yeah. the whole hubs and things they're going through. And I think that's wrong. It's a false dichotomy because at the end of the day, 
way you behave through the culture, the culture of the school, the values of the school, and in what you do in the classroom, the way you model those values, you know, as 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 leaders, teachers, and parents coming in, how you behave with the parents as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's that's the thing that I feel, you know, and, and related to outside life. So getting those life stories into school and getting speakers from outside into school who can show, you know, through what they've gone through to, to get to where they are. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that schools should do far more of and not focus on, right, okay, we're going to exclude you now, you're going off to that unit there, you're going to sit there facing the wall, or you're going to write out your behaviour policy mm. 10 times, which I've seen in many schools now. That is not going to reform behaviours, is it, in any no. shape or form? And, and equally, what I find really what what like as as an extension like right now and I, I'm wanting to ask your thoughts on it as well like especially post pandemic there has been like in a good way a positive way this catapulted shift in this need for change and there's a lot of noise now is like you know in the uh, what I find in the education sector where mm. we've got a lot of noise around there needs to be change there needs to be a shift um parents aren't happy after their experiences with homeschooling teachers who are probably like saying we've been saying this for years that things aren't right head teachers are worried because there's so much uncertainty yet there is still a system which is saying that there will be exams in 2022 we haven't really made our minds up yet we've got catch-up culture there is so much going on in education um in schools sorry because i know education can, it's more broad but in schools that focusing on culture for a head teacher may, they may see that as something that is um like a byproduct like they don't have time to focus on that because there is so much else to focus on however from everything you've said and I completely agree that it's almost like focus on your culture and everything else falls into place like focus Absolutely. on that like root and then everything else to use the analogy of a tree will grow and prosper and be green <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's brilliant, Zara. That, that really sums it up. I think, you know, a school is, I said to you, it's a Ubuntu. It's that yes. learning community. If you look at it as a tree, then yeah. yes, absolutely. You know, the roots of the tree will not be nurtured, will not be watered, will not be fed, unless you develop that culture, absolutely. that daily routine, those rituals that will enable the tree to prosper. You absolutely. know, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at sapling, you need yeah. to be able to water and, you know, um, and I think the issue with schools then is that you're right, the head teacher often is, you know, so bogged down with everything that's going on. I mean, I know when I was a head teacher, you know, I used to, it was literally a 12 hour day. I mean, I used to mm. come home in the evening and start looking at my emails. And I usually had, I don't know how many emails that I, I needed to look at before I could go to bed, you know, yeah. because my day was not about sitting at a computer doing emails my Absolutely. day was full on walking down you know walking to class walking down corridors yeah <laughs> obviously walking down supporting teachers going to classrooms you know etc etc so I think for me it it was about building up a culture and the culture was the important aspect you know to me that's exactly what I wanted to do because I knew that lay at the heart of the school the school I, I, I went to was the culture was 
was actually quite toxic. Um, mm. You know, it was very punitive. Um, there were lesson observations of staff and gradings, and I wanted to shift all that, and I shifted yeah. all that. The values, I don't know what the values, there weren't any values as far as I could see, nothing. So, you know, our values, we put them up in posters. We had them all over the school. We had children's work displayed everywhere mm. because we asked them to produce work, yeah. you know, which, which would have reflect those values. Um, and basically, uh, in terms of everything, I wanted to make sure that staff knew, as I said, parents knew, children knew. But importantly, I felt that's what drove our achievement, you know, for the children, learning. And achievement did go up that mm. year. It did go up. In, you know, I was quite amazed at the progress uh, levels that went up for children. Um, and it was because, and behaviours, that was the other thing I was about to say. Sorry, I, I went off track there. Um, the, the other thing was when I went to the school, <laughs> we had a thousand FTEs. How can you possibly have a thousand FTEs? Wow. In there was a thousand on roll that we had a thousand FTEs. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, over a certain period of time, they had, and I was still trying to figure out how they'd got a thousand FTEs and thought, no, we'll forget it. You know, let's just start afresh. And I had to get this, you know, literally turn it round. So what we did was rather than have uh, a unit, uh, rather than have a, because what they had was a room where kids were being excluded. You know, oh, just to say, sorry up. for pe sorry for people listening, an FTE is a fixed term exclusion. Just in case people don't know what that is, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to permanent yes. exclusion, yeah. which is a past, yeah. yeah. So they would be put into this room, literally facing a wall, as I said, you know, that was Gosh. an example of my school, facing a wall, and they just sit there. And the supervisor would sit there and they'd all sit there and that was it. And then, so they wasted all this time not learning. It's ridiculous. Uh, and they sat in this room and wrote out lines or whatever they were doing. And I thought, I'm not having this. So I created what I called an engage and achieve unit. Mm. And this unit, they went in there. I'd, I'd employed teachers, English, maths and science teachers to go in there. And so when they went in there, we had packs of work and the, and the English, maths and science teachers could work with the children you know because obviously at GCSD level most teachers can turn their hands to most subjects yeah yeah so they knew what the children were doing and they could basically work with the children uh in a more productive productive way to catch up on whatever it was they were missing out on so when the children went in there this wasn't a sort of you know right you're now going to sit here and just write out lines or you know whatever you're going to carry on with your learning but it's because you need some time out. So you just carry on and these teachers will help you. Now, what we found, Sahara, was, and this comes back to the culture, as you probably know, the children who are the most excluded in any school are kids, kids with sent needs, you know, yes. special education needs. And so it's terrible. ADHD mm. and so on, dyslexia and whatever. So we that's what we started finding that these children who are ending up in there were literally having, were struggling with their work. The fact that they had access to, you know, to teachers, not supervisors, because that's what, that's what it was before, just people sat there and you know, twiddled their thumbs while the children sat there and twiddled their thumbs. And they, had, they had teachers who could work with them. And I kid you not, the relationships they formed with those teachers was superb. You know, and it got to the point actually sometimes where they wanted to be because they wanted to go and get some, you know, 
and we had to stop that happening because obviously that wasn't going to be you know we had to talk to the children and the parents and say no this is not we did provide additional tutoring and one to one what I'm saying is those teachers became such a source of strength for these children and they saw that experience not as a punitive experience but as a productive experience because they needed time out yeah perhaps needed to work at their own pace and so they were working in little groups when they went into that room you know and it, it really really made a difference and combined with that we also had the teachers stay after school so then children after some additional um tutoring after school and that's why I find you know this whole argument about catch-up and so on that's going on at the moment you know, yes the dirty word my experience children really wanted to get they wanted to do we would now call catch up they they didn't need to there were some children that we said you need to you know go because you we we're going to you're falling behind with your work with GCSE you know year but actually they didn't need to go and there were kids signing up in year 10 to want to go because they felt that they needed to catch up you know in their words they were struggling with aspects of their work and they wanted some additional tutoring after school I said to the parents, I said, look, if your child went to private school, they would get this thrown in for free. You know, they would get this sort of, you would, well, you would be paying a lot of money to the school for some class day tutoring for your child. You've got it here now free in our school, you know. So they would literally have a waiting list for children who want after school. And I have to say, I I can't, you know, when... When colleagues say that to me, you know, I know a lot of people have said, and you see it on social media, you know, this catch up thing, or we need to let children just be. I think you need to let children have a choice. Absolutely. I don't think this is about us imposing a model. And that's where I would suggest that's part of the culture as well, allowing children to choose. I completely agree. Um, because I, uh, especially this idea of yes there is there are, I think the I think if we the, the way the media have spun catch-up culture which is what I guess the majority of parents are seeing sometimes that's probably the first time even teachers in schools and head teachers hear about changes right like if they haven't logged onto their emails to see the latest update from the DFE they're gonna have seen it or heard it on BBC News or, or Good Morning Britain on the way in and I find it so infuriating because they are fueling this culture of school being like in this like on top of a mountain as if you kind of like have to crawl up to and then you crawl down from and it's like this when actually it's not it doesn't need to be that bubble like catch-up culture doesn't need to be a negative thing at all like it might for some students it might very well be a positive thing it might be a way for them to like we don't like I think um, I was talking to a parent, a primary school parent um, recently, and uh, they had negative kind of skeptical views about catch up culture. But what the school had done was turned the week of catch up culture into like orientation. So Mm. I was saying to them, I was like, but that's a good thing, surely, like, that means they're not going to be, they're going to be doing fun stuff like you'd want them to do. It's almost like a free holiday camp (laughs) to a certain extent. They're going to be, but because of the way the media has spun catch-up culture, even if a school is doing great things, it's completely overturned by what the media are perpetuating and I find that so infuriating about our 
media culture. <laughs> exactly. You know? I agree. I agree. It puts a spin on it, takes on a life of its own. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter, you know, I remember somebody putting on Twitter, you know, this whole negativity thing. And I and I just put in there, well, in my experience, it's actually a good thing because children will choose, you know, yeah. there are children who are sitting in lessons. I know I, I I talked to these children when I was working with, with the school, I was working with a school improvement advisor um, during lockdown. And they said, oh, um, I said, did you, you know, they were doing Animal Farm. And mm -hmm. in the same lesson, they had a child who genuinely could talk to me articulately about what Animal Farm was about, you know, and the whole Russian uh, con the concept of communism yeah. and so on. And it just went on and on. This is a 13-year-old. Yeah. And next to him was a child who hadn't got a clue, genuinely. Yeah. I said, what is it about Animal Farm? Well, it's about animals and a farm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I <laughs> my case then. And then another child said, Well, I think it's about a pig. Okay. That, that, that's we're getting close now, you know. So this was like, I was thinking that this is, you know, it was quite funny, really, because it, literally within three children sitting next to each other. And those were the kind of, and I said, Well, did you read the book? No. Right. <laughs> so, and I, so during lockdown, the other guy, though, the guy who was well up in communism yeah. the, the whole war, oh, yes, and he used the word metaphor and et cetera, allegory and so on. And I said, how is it you're so, you know, your knowledge is so developed? Because he was way ahead. I mean, yeah. the, what the teacher was saying, he was way ahead. And he said, well, in the summer, you know, when children were off in yeah. lockdown, so to speak, so this was the last autumn I'm talking about when I was talking to these children, he said, um, he said, well, I really enjoyed reading it. I was reading it and I was, I was, you know, yeah. taking note with the teacher saying and everything when we were doing online lessons. Yeah. Of course, the other children were not. No. So I'm sorry, but, you know, you can argue, well, is it important that, uh, that they do read Animal Farm? No, it's not essential. It's not life and death that they read Animal Farm. But the no. point is that, you know, if we are going down this accountability measure system and to be fair, we live in a competitive world. Yeah. You you do, surely every child has the potential to do their best mm -hmm. and we need to allow them the opportunity Absolutely. to do their best and, you know, to reach their aspirations potential. And if the child is has not done for whatever reason because they haven't, access, haven't had access to internet or they just haven't been motivated or they haven't got parents for aspiration or whatever that may be during lockdown, then surely should be given that opportunity and be allowed you know nurtured in that way and said well you know like okay let's read that now and let's go through it now with you or whatever it may be and I, I think just, I just don't know why that's considered to be a, a bad thing it is considered to be so negative you know I know don't use that word and I think for uh, me from everything you'll know I, I I do agree and I think it comes back to like the, so now with social media if you say something that's not like popular or got the a thousand like even even as an education professional yeah you face being cancelled right Absolutely. or you face being crawled out which is quite scary and what I find yeah. with the noise especially from what you're saying like it's not about there are so many texts don't get me wrong on the yeah. and we'll talk about your book and the secondary curriculum which is probably a <laughs> podcast in itself but in itself I think a, it's we'll touch on it but there is yeah there are so many things on the curriculum that we could spend years and they have been debated and discussed for years yeah. however if you look at like and it comes back to culture 
animal farm is just the tool really but the skills that it enables and the, yeah. the type of learning the classroom culture the the critical exactly. analysis skills the historical learning if you say to your teachers don't be scared of catch-up culture but think about what we're enabling for these students who have missed out through the text mm -hmm. animal farm it yes. changes the yes. it just changes the way you're selling catch-up culture i think yeah um because the same happened like with that's brilliant even, you know like even with i used to i, I coordinated intervention um when you know when student yeah. when we did controlled assessments and students weren't doing so well in controlled assessment and i was new at this school and literally we'd get the kids in at 8 a.m they'd have three sessions a week i would say to them we, almost like we were they were allowed one more opportunity to sort of re redo the, yeah. with a different question etc it was all just for anybody listening it was all above board etc etc but it um the kids loved it because they were getting an opportunity to learn in a different these kids who might have been introverts in the classroom who might have struggled like you said dyslexia like you know literacy skills their whatever that reason might be yeah whatever that reason might be however it was so interesting seeing the whole school reaction to it because people would think oh well the english department's getting brownie points or um the english you know intervention is just making things easy and i would be so like mm. my head would be blown my mind would be blown because i was like but the kids are doing well like and they're enjoying it so why why are we even why is this even a point of conflict like it was it was beyond my thinking and it is it does come down to culture like having that transparency that, in culture yeah no and i think that's absolutely the point you made zara is so spot on and i you know totally resonate with me because i think if you can turn the negative into the positive and make that as a a positive feature of your school that children are allowed to you know not allowed to but they're enabled and empowered we keep Absolutely. talking about empowering children at the moment and yet then when you say oh well you know i've got these activities you could be doing after school or during lunchtime lunchtime let's say after school or you know one-to-one -one tutoring in fact there was um a recent uh, report that's come out and i'm trying to remember i think it was um wasn't it foundation um it was the OECD actually oh, yeah. that produced yeah. the report just recently. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I've on on the lessons learned from lockdown. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, there's also and, yeah. There's also one by yeah. yeah. There's also and, one by Big Education, I think. I think that's the one I'm thinking of actually. But I think OECD also done one, but yeah, the Big Education yes. one. Yeah. yeah. And basically, they were looking at peer to peer. They're looking at additional tutoring. They were looking at quiet time after school to do homework, you know, like a homework club mm. or whatever. Extracurricular activities, you know, which children missed out. And you can teach literally. If you have extracurricular activities with skills, you know, if you're building in skills and building in knowledge to those extra, that can recap or consolidate what they have missed anyway in their subjects. You know, for example, if you do extra for example if you do something that's related to let's do something that's like i'm enterprise skills you know mm. so you could be saying right we'll run a cake or a bring and buy shop or something like that 
then I mean that is something I did in my school we had once a week we had this um uh, one of the parents decided she was going to work with our children to develop the business skills that they needed to promote you know selling and they yeah. did was they they brought in um cakes that they'd made they also brought in little toys they made in design and technology and they used you know every subject they brought in yeah. like food textiles and so on and they sold these and had a charity that they would give the money to and this was a weekly thing that they did mm. in break times um but what she did very importantly with them was she's got them to set up a business plan you know and they actually had that and yeah. they developed those skills you know so that worked into their business studies and enterprise that they were doing as well and some of those children were doing GCSE um, and it was just it was great to have again that culture of let's get those skills and, and knowledge that you're learning in your subjects let's actually do a broader let's broaden mm. those out and get you to use them as real life skills and see the relevance of your subjects to real life um, and the kids really loved it, you mm. know, and they, they sort of so look forward. They got all the marketing there and the promo. Yeah. And, you know, one day after school, I think they did it for parents as well. So yeah. anybody can come in the local community. I think this sort of thing is really part of the school culture. Yeah, and I know absolutely. many schools are doing it. I know there are really good examples up and down the country. But it, the problem we have is that it's not the sort of thing that, you know, if an Ofsted inspectors come in, they won't necessarily say, well, so what are you doing for your culture? Let yes. me ask, you know, let me yeah. see what you're doing. How are you imbuing your children with those values? How are you? They will do it implicitly, but it's not explicit, yeah. if that makes sense. Yes. And I yeah. think there are, you know, schools that are doing it explicitly and basically you know, the whole culture is built around this sort of let's get children to become leaders of their own learning. Mm. And that, I think, is just key. You know, become leaders of your own learning. Don't don't let expect us to be your, you know, standing there with a whip saying you've got to exactly. do this, you've got to do that. And I um, think your your book, your book explores all of that, like this idea of, um, like you said, 21st century skills, however, making them relevant, thinking about the bigger picture. But also what I find really interesting with like what you've written is that, and this is where it comes back to the work, yes, culture, but also values, like you said, because with all of the noise at the moment, and I call it noise just because there are so many voices and social media mm. can make some mm. voices louder than others. And it can feel quite overwhelming. And I, I always mm. say schools can, especially those who are leading who are actively on the front line leading this change, you can be overwhelmed into isolation and think, right, there's way too much. I'm just going to keep going in this oiled machine, well-oiled yeah. machine, even if it is breaking, I'm going to keep going with it because yeah. it's easier than all of this noise. But with your writing and your, uh, your book, sorry, the value section, what I really like about it is that it also touches on that school is the starting point it's not it's not the everything in its entirety so with students especially with students I think which and I love I mean school should be is for students like the idea is it's meant to unite students parents and teachers however I really admire impatience in students like I love the fact that they have so much fire that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there in a day for example something that might have taken you know something that takes five years they'll do it in five days type thing you know but sometimes I think they need reminding by adults 
and people facilitating their learning that school is literally the starting point it's yeah. it's a place where they start the cog the cogs start turning and you can have some great opportunities but don't feel like you've got to do everything now do you, do you know what I mean? Because I really? find within the noise, whenever yeah. we use the word leaders of learning, which is absolutely, I completely agree with that. Yeah. But when I've spoken to some students, sometimes I'm just like, you also need some guidance. Do, do you know what I mean? Like kids do yeah. need that level yeah. of, and that needs to be in the cultures and the the culture and the values of the school as well. Yeah, definitely. Because the, the um, you know, for me, what we want to do in schools is ignite uh, a fire or a curiosity for learning that's yeah. what we need to be igniting that curiosity for learning and I think that uh, how schools do that is what I find interesting you know mm. the, 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 and the, the issue is how do you do it importantly the biggest issue is how do you do with all pupil groups yes and absolutely. that's where you you know and that's where the curriculum comes in in my mm. view because what the curriculum doesn't do today uh well the english curriculum doesn't anyway um it doesn't allow for choice at all yeah. it doesn't allow for choice and i think the moment you take away choice from an individual whether it's an adult or a child you then extinguish that curiosity for learning so you know you if you could develop a curriculum which you know, as you know in the book we have got models in there have a pathways curriculum and choices there and children can go down the route they want to do so when you know rather than the evac route they can take other subjects which are creative technical yes. or vocational and that has parity with yes. those evac subjects yeah um i it really does help it doesn't help it facilitates that learning it, you will have children sitting in lessons following subjects they want to follow mm. and therefore you know you will ignite that curiosity for learning and that relevance you know because they see what they're doing is relevant and therefore once you've got relevance then you you will want to learn you're motivated that's where metacognition comes in you know that's what the the, the art of metacognition that we read so much about that's essentially what it's about you know it can only be ignited Absolutely. once you feel what you're doing is relevant and you see that relevance to your life and you can be motivated that intrinsic motivation comes in mm. and the other thing I was going to say was as you know we've got this series of webinars yes. which um, I initiated from the launch uh, after the launch um, called the big ask debate and the big ask debate is why are we failing one third of our children each mm. year systematically, routinely? Um, they don't have falls they need. Why by 19 is one fifth of our young children unable to, you know, have a GCSE technical qualification or apprenticeship by mm. the age of 19? It's because of the curriculum that is not correct, is not suitable for for what it for purpose, and this particular webinar so we've had now one part of launch we had the first webinar that looked at the whole area of um not necessarily curriculum but just education so we looked at mental well-being and we looked at for example self-directed learning and so on and different types of you know ways of arriving at learning and um, we also had two young people on there talked about their experiences 
It was very, very powerful. So this time I wanted to have a webinar where we looked at international education and what other countries are doing. So we can look at that and think, well, hold on, we've become so insular that we have adopted this curriculum. We know it's wrong. A lot of, lot of educators can see it's wrong. There's so many, as you know, think tanks now around and, um, you know, webinars where people are discussing how to change education, the future of education, uh, rethinking education, as so many of these forum, you know. Um, and so we felt, and in the book, I do talk about international models. And so I wanted to have a webinar where we invite international educators to talk about their curriculum, you know, their curriculum and what works for them and their young people. So the one that's coming up now on the 14th of July has got a principal of a school in Australia. Um, and we have um, principal of a, a international school in Bahrain following an Oxford international curriculum. Um, we have um, uh, um, an educator from Finland who is going to talk to us about Finnish education. And uh, we have um, another educator who's worked in other countries, in various countries, such as Singapore, Hong Kong and Holland, and is going to talk to us about different education systems that he's worked with. Um, and what he feels is the best, you know, of them. The the lady, uh, uh, Julia Jules um, uh, Knight Williams, who is from Bahrain, who is the uh, principal of the international school there, she's going to also uh, share with us um, some of the views of the young people who are undergoing their education system and the uh, principal of the Australian school will be doing the same. So. What we wanted to do was have a panel panel of young people who would actually interrogate this, because we feel, you know, every mm. every webinar that you see nowadays is full of edu adults, educators talking about education until the cows come home, you know, um, yeah. and yet the people, the stakeholders, I, the children whose future it is, never seem to get a word in edgeways. So we wanted to Absolutely. give them a yeah. forum where they can actually ask the questions we will go my fabian viles and myself will be yes. co-hosting it but they will be asking questions of the educators <laughs> no and i feel like no and i feel like we've maybe maybe there needs to be a part two you know on the curriculum side of things especially to discuss your book um more because i really enjoy yeah um, i think so yeah because <laughs> I really enjoyed listening and it's just so important everything you say about culture and values within a school and how students can embody that and teachers can embody that and then they can work together like they should literally be working together thinking about the kind of school community and brand really that they want to create if businesses do it if Amazon can do it and everything comes back to their brand values and their culture which then has a positive exactly. effect on their consumers exactly. why can't schools do it you know um but no thank you so much for your time yeah. Nina I really yeah. appreciated it you're welcome most welcome it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure I really enjoyed it me too I'll just leave you with one thought Aspiration. Aspiration is key to, to education. Yeah. yeah. And I, you're talking about branding, corporate branding. My daughter worked as a, when she was at university just for a, a spell over the summer as a receptionist in um, uh, Google. Right. In the Google headquarters in Victoria. Wow. 
And uh, I used to go in there to, you know, come in and have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely amazing about this place, for those of you who know or don't know, is the entire concept of Google is to wrap around um, uh, the experience for their for their employees, to keep their employees there. They've got, you know, um, food in, in, their, in their restaurants. They are just extraordinary experience. Experience, the culinary experience they've got and it starts from morning and goes on till midnight you know literally this food is available different meals and everything you can imagine you know it's like a gourmet you could put on weight very easily it's a gourmet's <laughs> delight but not only that they've got a gym they've got places you can actually keep down yeah. you know so what I'm saying is that's a wraparound environment of, and a culture that's really built up around its employees. Mm. I know that they've now said to their employees they can't come in because <laughs> since July, I think July they're allowed back in or whatever. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that that creates a huge loyalty. Yes. That creates, you know, absolute um, affiliation. That creates a desire to work for the for their employees. They want to work there and they're proud to work there. Now, surely we should be doing the same thing for our children in schools. And our we staff. need to create an environment that is really, you know, that corporate environment. Let's look at it, nurturing them, creating a learning environment for them, as well as a good teaching environment for the teachers. Absolutely. So they are working together. There's the synergy there. And it's not about us and them, teachers and children. They work together. And then the leadership team actually creates that nurturing environment for both yeah. children and teachers. Absolutely. And, you know, as I said earlier on, right at the spot, the instructional coaching that goes as part of that. So I think, you know, if you're going to have genuine school improvement, and I know that word, those words are bandied around so much, you know, yeah. school advisors and so on. It is about really beginning with culture mm-hmm. and environment before you start thinking about even curriculum and assessment and leadership and behavior and all of that that is at the root of good school or outstanding school in my view yeah and apps and it comes back no 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 I'm really glad that you did because again it's like that root isn't it the culture being the root and everything else will fall into place absolutely thank Thank you you no thank you and maybe there will be a part two because I thoroughly enjoy speaking to you and you have a lot (laughs) of wisdom to offer (laughs) Um, because I think that I think it's so important especially if we've got avenues like podcasting blogging available now for schools which are all free right like you know these Mm. are things that we just need to go google (laughs) and um, search up like they can make schools more consistent with their approach better for all students like it won't then hopefully if we can make culture consistent across schools I think you then won't have catchment area issues you won't have parents worrying about which school are their kids going to that after school tuition all the time it just solves a lot of problems mm-hmm. absolutely I totally agree I totally agree and then that's where if you've got if you've got children who are happy at school I mean it's not coincidence is it that our children our teenagers are supposed to be some of the unhappiest yeah. in Europe yeah and that is bad isn't it so exactly you know that's one thing I want I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the Finnish lady talk mm. about because the Finnish children are supposed to be some of the happiest you absolutely know? so we should yeah. see why you know yes but um we need to aspire to that absolutely. as educators we need to ensure happy children 
are going to want to learn and happy staff are going to want to teach absolutely you know and yeah. it needs to be that synergy then between the two absolutely. you know and i think the role of a head teacher coming back to your original question right at the beginning yeah. <laughs> is about creating that culture and that synergy for teaching and learning to be really firmly embedded you know and, and, and sort of working in sync really and i couldn't so, agree more yeah. um thank you so much mina and we will definitely speak again soon Okay, thank you very much, Zara. Take care. And you, take care. All the best. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please do leave us a review and share it with your friends and family so they can also learn all about what school should be. Until next time, speak to you soon.